Welcome to From City to the World. I'm your host, Vince Boudreau, the president of the City College of New York. From City to the World is a show about how the work that we're doing at City College matters to people around the city and throughout the world. So over the course of our different programs, we'll discuss the practical applications of our research in solving real-world issues like poverty, homelessness, mental health challenges, affordable housing, disparities in health care, and immigration. Today, however, today we are celebrating with the rest of uh, New York and the rest of America the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. Hip-hop turns 50 years old this year, and around the world, here in New York City, there have been concerts, tours, battles, exhibitions, showcases, DJs, MCs, breakdancers, beatboxers, and graffiti artists. Netflix recently released a documentary titled Ladies First, featuring Queen Latifah, MC Light, and some of the first ladies of hip-hop, Shah Rock, Roxanne Shante, and others. However, one female hip-hop pioneer was not featured in that documentary, and so today we are going to rectify that injustice and hear her story. She was born and raised in Gun Hill Houses in the Bronx, the epicenter of the creation of hip-hop. Gail Hall, also known um, on this station and around the world as DJ Flame, is the first Afro-Latina hip-hop and holy hip-hop DJ. She is a first-generation DJ MC for Mercedes Ladies, Inner City Disco, the Erotic Disco Brothers, and the Chapter 5 MCs. For more than 10 years, she's been the DJ for the legendary Curtis Blow at the Hip Hop Church in New York City. In 2014, she was inducted in the Hip Hop Hall of Fame, and in 2021, she received several citations from two Bronx Borough Presidents and a proclamation from the City of New York. In 2023, she received a Hip Hop Hall of Fame Legacy Award for Women in Hip Hop. Back in 1996, she started attending Greater Faith Temple Church of the Living God and decided to answer the call on her life to be a minister of the gospel. And that's when she merged gospel and hip hop and became the first female radio host producer of the only urban gospel show in NYC, The Anointed Mic Check, which currently airs at WHCR, this station, Wednesday mornings from 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. I've been a guest on that show, and if you haven't tuned in, you should. This year, DJ Flame was the holy hip-hop DJ on Harlem Week's main stage for the Hip Hop Hall of Fame showcase. DJ Flame, welcome to From City to the World. Well, thank you. I'm I'm very honored to be here, and um, I'm sorry I had to painfully go through all of those accolades. I didn't feel any pain. I don't know if you felt pain over there. It was, I was, it was over there. Ooh. It was sweet from over here. I want to tell you, the other thing is, you know, it has been three years yes. since we've been in the studio. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is, we've been doing this show uh, over the telephone, and I can't tell you how happy I am that this is the show that brings us back into the studio so we can sit around a table and look into each other's eyes while we talk. Yes. Um, I said, look, not gaze. Um, <laughs> So let's get to let's get to the to the to the conversation now, and I just want to hear you. I want to start out by you just telling us what it was like in those days. You were a pioneer. You were you know in the Gun Hill houses as as everything was getting started in 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 the Bronx. Tell us a little about bit about those early days of hip hop. Well, um, well, Gun Hill houses um, was uptown, and um, there was a legendary. A venue called the T Connection, mm. which many uh, pioneers have graced that stage, and you know it's kind of like the uh, the Apollo for hip hop. You mm-hmm. know, um, 
along with 371 and and, and uh, on all other uh, uh, venues. But um, for me, I started um, in a club, actually, around the corner from Tea Connection. And my mom and the club owner, they were friends, and she knew that I was into music and she was like, I'm scared she's going to run out in the street and do something she's not supposed to be doing. So, you know, Auntie Emma said, listen, let her come down here nice. and uh, we'll watch her and we'll make sure that uh, nothing happens and she can deal with the music, with the uh, DJs. And so that was where I actually I was... 13 years old, actually. Wow. And um, it was an after-hours spot. And um, DJ Kenny Anderson was the uh, resident DJ at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was disco. I started out doing disco. I was mixing, you oh. know, and um, d- didn't know anything really about hip-hop because there was nothing... There was nothing on wax, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, commercialized. It wasn't. And so um, I happened to run into a mutual friend, um, and he he said, listen, my nephew is into all of that stuff you're into. I want to introduce you. And come to find out, um, this person knew one of the Mercedes ladies. Mm -hmm. Now, I had no idea about the Mercedes ladies. I thought I was the only DJ, female DJ uptown. I was the only one. Um, DJ, you know, as a female. Mm-hmm. And so um, to see another, you know, female, like, you know, she walked in the door, was on the turntables, and she had this look like... And, and, and then she got on, and I looked at her like, you know, the same way, and she said, you gotta get down with our crew. You gotta get down with our crew. I said, there's more females like you? <laughs> That's wonderful. I said, I'm in. I'm in. And you know, I, that was my experience to um, the South Bronx. Mm-hmm. It's first time, you know, really going down there. And we had rehearsal space with, um, I believe it was Grand Wizard Theodore's um, parents mm-hmm. and um, his his uh, group, as well as the Mercedes ladies. I walked into, you know, to all this greatness of hip hop and I didn't even really know oh, right. what I was, you know, walking into. And you know, was sitting there with the mentored by the creator of the Drop Media and the Scratch, which is Grand Wizard Theodore. So um, I I have to shout out um, Baby D, DJ Baby D for that. And, um, you know, it progressed, you know, um, the climate. Well, it was government programs. They were, you know, non-existent they were you know starting it's in that area not uptown but in that area was like a warsaw ghetto Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um burning buildings um just drugs infested all kinds of things so we're talking about the early 1970s is that one yes yes um and i will tell you i'll put on record and it has already been on record but i'll put on record on your show in 1977 the, the night of the blackout the next day everyone had equipment Oh, everyone was DJing. <laughs> so, for, for some reason, <laughs> that was <laughs> there must have been a big uh, government distribution program. Oh then. yeah, yeah, okay. definitely that. <laughs> Very good. And so, and so, um, from that time period, from I met Baby D in nineteen um, seventy eight. The 
ending of 1978 into 1979. So I was with the Mercedes ladies for a year and then went on to other um, so, groups. So you raised two things that I, I actually had two separate questions I was going to ask you about it. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm very curious about mm-hmm. um, what it was like to be a woman. And, and it sounds like there was some pretty significant solidarity among women pioneers at the time. So I'm, I'm curious about that. I'm also curious about the kind of, like you said before, it got onto wax. Like this was a neighborhood mm-hmm. phenomenon, mm-hmm. and 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 you could, you could go out of your house and just run into some of the people that would be the greats of hip hop, hanging out doing their work. So let's separate those two questions. Talk to me first about, you know, what it was like to be a, a, a an an early woman <laughs> in a in a in an art form that isn't always or at least wasn't for a while associated with being particularly um, comfortable for women to be in or, or to succeed in what was that like the beginning it was rough yeah. um, <laughs> the men in this industry was not hearing females at all mm-hmm. you know um, I mean, we would get laughed at, you know, y'all better be good, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. We'd go to different parks, you know. Um, it's, in some cases, it, you know, it, it could have gotten even worse um, because at that time it was gang culture. Yeah. And so, um, you know, NYPD, you know, was in a whole nother uh, mind space and... Um, we were we 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 weren't um, accepted, mm-hmm. um, and as females, it was it was just a thousand times more, mm-hmm. you know, and we had to really prove ourselves. It wasn't like what you see now. When I was just saying the evolution, what you see now was a lot of sexual, you know, misogynistic. You know, it's still misogyny, you know, back then, but it wasn't to the level that it is now. Mm-hmm. And you have females that are actually. Um, entertaining it they they have no um filter mm-hmm. you know um they're just they're um and and there's a skill set that we had to adhere cuz i mean i'm i'm sitting with grandmaster flash and the furious 5 and i'm 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 with grand wizard theodore they like they weren't about you know running around it wasn't about money yep. you know back then it wasn't commercialized yeah. you know um uh, I, and I say perverted, if you will, because it has um, been it's been a, a, a journey, you yeah. know, um, just to have a, a real voice. I mean, look, after 50 years, here we are celebrating, even talking about the issue of the 50 years of hip hop. But before then, there was so many um, artists that were struggling you know, um, and females. Um, I'm I'm happy, you know, that there are more females, but I would say present day fe- females that I see, um, I'm I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. as a mother of yeah. hip hop, I'm a little concerned, and I understand the generational thing because they say, well, oh, uh, you know, because when we were younger. You know, our parents, they didn't like rock and roll. They didn't like soul. They didn't like, you know. Also true, right? Yeah. Right. And so I understand that music goes through an evolution. But as it goes to another level, it's it's kind of like debauchery at the same time. You know, it's going up, you know, in stature, but going down, 
you know, in, um, in essence, you know. When you thought, I mean, in those early days, when you thought about the content of, of, of your words and your music, you, I mean, you had a moment uh, when you decided you know, the integration of gospel into hip-hop was going to be important. We're going to talk about that in mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you've got such strong feelings about what is, what is happening now. Mm-hmm. What were you thinking about in terms of the message that you were putting out and the music? Like, How, how did you want to position yourself as an artist? <laughs> it's funny. Um, I didn't even look at myself as an artist. Mm-hmm. I just looked at myself as a, a woman who was a DJ and no guy is going to tell me I can't get on the turntables and, and DJ. Mm-hmm. That was it. It was like, I'm going to show you. Uh-huh. You know, it was more of a dare thing, yeah. you know. And as I realized watching Theodore and, and I was around Busy B because the Mercedes ladies and the L brothers, Busy B, Starsky and all these greats, we were actually the sister group to that group. We had the same manager. I okay? see. And so we were able to glean basically from the men and and I saw the intensity you yeah. know of the arc form mm-hmm. and the craft and the skill and I was like yeah I want to do that yeah you know yeah. I, 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 w- I want to be a part of that I want to you know be um, known for my skill set um, as far as what I would play well at that time it was you know music was <laughs> wasn't this you know um it was a little simpler, simpler than than it is now. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it was it was and, and there were still innuendos. But again, innuendos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, this idea of hip hop as a neighborhood phenomenon. You mm-hmm. earlier on, you used the term industry. The industry was not about. But it wasn't an industry at the beginning. right? Exactly. Could you talk about that? a little bit? Um, It wasn't an industry. It was really street cred. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, again, I can do this. <laughs> There's nobody doing it better than me, you know? Um, and I think that was more of the mindset because people, you know, they didn't even consider hip-hop. They thought hip-hop was a fad. It'll phase out. Mm-hmm. You know, this it's not going anywhere. You're wasting your time. Go get a government job. There's always <laughs> work at the post office. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That type of thing. Yeah. Um, but we didn't even look at it as... A profession. Right. It was more of a hobby, mm-hmm. and um, again, a badge. Mm-hmm. You know, for the street to say, "Hey, you know, this is who I am. I rep this crew. Where I'm down with Mercedes ladies. Wow, y'all are ladies. I bet y'all are, are good. You know." And we had a lot of guys hitting on us until they realized that wasn't the avenue to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And when when they when they actually saw. The skill set, then they were like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, okay, maybe we need to go home and practice because yeah. they kind of good, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, you know, um, that was that was the mindset um, as far as, I mean, uh, I, I say Mercedes ladies, but I think it was totally the mindset um, because, again, I didn't see anyone saying, oh, we got to go get a record deal. Oh, we try to, if anything, they wanted to play in big venues. Mm-hmm. That was the thing, playing in big mm-hmm. venues mm-hmm. and having crowds of people, you know, um, getting the accolades from that, and that's the respect. So what would be a big venue back then? If you, if you, oh, if, wow. Um, oof. Like if you, were, if you were starting out and you're like, this is, I got to get to this stage. <laughs> 
What would you be that was, for? You know, for me, it's the, oh, I can't even. You 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 went there. <laughs> <laughs> you caught me. You got me this time. No, um, uh, let's see. Uh, I I I don't I don't really want to say because I'm because I'm I know people are listening to something. No, there's something bigger than that. Uh-huh, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but that's kind of what we're getting at, right? It was in a way. It was so. Um, it was such a community space that the big spaces would be big spaces that you could fight about if you lived in different boroughs. Well, let me tell you this: in the summer yeah. of '77 and into '80. There weren't really many clubs. Clubs were not a lot like the T-Connection. Mm-hmm. They didn't start doing hip-hop until 78. Mm-hmm. And they were uh, strictly uh, disco. It was, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, you come and you party. You know, I guess we would say B-Y-O-B-B. You yep, know, yep, bring yep. your own brown bag and that type of thing. Uh-huh. Um, but we were in the streets. Mm-hmm. Hip-hop was the voice, the heartbeat. Of the streets, yeah. so the parks. If you talk about venues, it would be eighty park. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it would be half in park. Right. You know, it it would be Eden Wall projects. It would be, you know, those were the, the you know, and then of course when when it got commercialized, then you know they were in the venues, um, you know, the Fun House, the you know these these different um, venues. Some some venues were like, we don't want that here. Yeah. You know yeah. you. We we don't want you dressing. You can't wear sneakers. We don't we don't approve of jeans here. Mm-hmm. You have to be dressed. Right. And you had some um, uh, people like uh, DJ Hollywood who is on the press. Of, you know he is hip hop. You know mm-hmm. he's a rapper. He's he's a DJ and but he's not playing break beats. He's playing disco and he's rhyming over disco so that was acceptable in the clubs so once you you know came into that you kind of had to show that and then you can bring you know let's why don't you come out and see us in the park and that was kind of like the audition right to come into the club Uh if you will yeah so yeah you start out i mean you're you're the thing that's pioneering about you is you're the first um afro-latina yes DJ. Yes. And I want to I, I, I want to ask you a little bit about what what was like what did that bring to the art that made it different? Was it language? Was it themes? Was it was it was it just the fact of who you were? But the but the but the the hip hop was kind of the same. Tell me about that. <laughs> this is this is uh, interesting because I just recently within the last fifteen years found out mm-hmm. that I was Afro Latina. Uh huh. But the crazy thing about it is when I went to some of the members of the Mercedes ladies, they said, oh, we already knew that. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> and I was just like, why didn't you tell me? You know, uh-huh. but it, it was it was the bonds. Yeah. That I were that I had with different cultures. Yeah. But I, you know, even though I grew up in Gun Hill, I, I my mom sent me to private school. So I, I was in. Rhinebeck and Crow Hill School, and, mm-hmm. and then I went to Moravian Academy in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So I was, I was, uh, it, it wasn't parochial school, but mm-hmm. it was, you know, an education that was set apart from the New York City system. Mm-hmm. And so when I came back, I was kind of lost. And so 
it was like hip hop saved my life. Music mm-hmm. saved my life because I was suffering from, you know, lowest self-esteem issues mm-hmm. and all these things that and and you know, I come from a one parent home. Um all of my um <laughs> all of uh, the people in my family seem like all of them are law enforcement. It's just crazy to me. But I didn't understand you know the the, the the difference, you know, when I went down down into the South Bronx, only when I was there and I was in the midst of it, it was like, wow, this is richness. Wow, I'm hearing, you know, congas. I'm hearing, you know, you know, Spanish Harlem. You know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm seeing break dancers who are Latin, mm-hmm. and I'm like, wow, everybody's doing this, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so, you know, it it was it was. Um, it was just something to to behold. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, you know. I I when I travel around, I remember being in the Philippines, and all of a sudden there's Filipino rap in mm. in Tagalog, mm-hmm. and I'm listening to it, and it, it like if if you don't if you don't know what they're saying, mm-hmm. it sounds like garden variety hip hop. You know, you you understand the language, mm-hmm. and they're saying things that are so kind of traditional to Filipino culture. Mm-hmm. Like there's a rap that's all about how you have to honor your parents yeah. and respect your father. And, and that, you know, so you, you have this kind of transcendence of, you know, gun hill to the world mm-hmm. with, with, with this art mm-hmm. form. I want to ask you about your incorporation of gospel okay. into, into the work. Because this, you, you, I mean, we said it earlier when I introduced you, you had a kind of moment when, when religion became much more explicitly part of, of how you were occupying your time and how you were um, pursuing your art. And could you, could you talk about that a little bit and, 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 and what it's done for, for, for the hip-hop and what it's done for you? <laughs> it's crazy because um, when, I, when I first, you know, um, gave my life to the Lord, um, I was managing my husband who was a part of um, the Zool Nation and he was on Hot 97 with Bambada. And so that was kind of like, you know, my my mindset was like, it's about him. He's the DJ because I'm not DJing anymore, mm-hmm. you know. And you know, I'm a professional, you yeah. know. I'm I'm. <laughs> so I thought, okay. okay. <laughs> and so I didn't realize until I went to the church and there were pastors and you know um, prophets that would come to me and say, "You're going to DJ for the Lord," and I was like, "Yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> you know." Keep praying, mm-hmm. but I don't see that, you uh-huh, know. Uh-huh. And so um, one day I was at Greater Faith Temple, and um, God bless um, Pastor Michelle White Haynes, who, you know, rest in peace. Um, she was preaching at the time, and she, you know, and, and, and I was just hearing a voice, you know, from the Lord saying, I want you to I want you to DJ for me. And I was like, you must be talking about my husband. You're not talking about me. And so she was on the pulpit and she said, somebody has been fighting with the Lord and they've been, you've been wrestling and yes, he wants you to do it. And I said, she can't be talking about me. And then (laughs) she said, yes, I'm talking about you. And I'm like, oh my God. She said that to you. She said that to the crowd. She, it was the response Mm -hmm. to, you know, to my you know, questions mm-hmm. with God, and I was sitting there going... But you didn't share that with her. You oh, were absolutely like, not. All right, okay. okay. And then I had a little boy that walked up to me, eight years old, 
And he grabbed my hand and he looked at me and he said, aren't you tired of running? Huh? Get out. He said, why don't you do what God told you to do? And mm. I said, okay, I'm a DJ. I don't know how I'm going to do it. <laughs> Lord, I'm a curse. Help me. Because I, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm a very colorful person. Mm-hmm. I come up in law enforcement, so we're, that, that's a colorful <laughs> background. And so that was my thing. I was like, you sure you want to use me? And there it was from there. You know, I saw the youth. And they would, you know, they would youth choir. They'd be up there, and, and everything was wonderful. And then we'd have a break in between the next service, and they'd go outside, and they'd be listening to Biggie. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I, I don't understand how how can you be so anointed here and talk about holiness and the lyrics of Biggie, <laughs> you know, you know, little kids, no, oh, no, I'm not, mm. I got to do something about this. And that's when, um, you know, I was like, Lord, just help me to undo whatever I wrong that I've done with promoting negativity in hip hop. Help me to bring a positive um, platform. Mm-hmm. Let me show these young people that there are other things. There's an alternative, mm-hmm. um, especially Christians, mm-hmm. you know, um, believers. Because I, I was shocked, you know, because I'm coming from the world and I'm going, okay, <laughs> what's what is this about, you know? And um, I guess you want to the Curtis blow the. Um, the I was going to ask you, you know, one, of the, one, you know, she, you, you've been um, a DJ for Curtis Blow's Hip Hop Church for the last what ten years, yeah, right? Yeah, actually, it was a little longer, but you know, we've been, we've had breaks, COVID, uh-huh. and the, you know, and the same thing. So tell tell us about. I mean, I, I'm I'm curious both about the church, like what it, what it's like to go to the hip hop church, but oh. also what it's like to be you in the hip hop church. Oh yeah, that 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 was an explosive thing. Um, Greater Hood Memorial here in Harlem, uh, they opened their doors up to Curtis Blow to have a hip-hop church choir. You know, he he would have rappers come up, you know, and minister. Um, Normally, the tradition is you go into the church, there's praise and worship, there's singing, there's a choir, uh, uh, you know, then you go into preaching and this, that, the other. But with the hip hop church, when you come in... I'm playing music. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm basically the choir. Right. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the rappers are the ministers of of that particular day. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, they'll have interchanging uh, rappers come in, and um, they'll minister. And then after all of that is over, then Curtis would preach. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, and then we had altar call and mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, offering all of that, you know. <laughs> That's something. And just just so we, we, we don't, where, what's the address of the Hip Hop Church? Ooh, and, uh, and tell us about services. It's been, you know, it's been a while since, because that has been shut down. I oh. know it's Greater Hood Memorial, so you can go and Google it. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> because it's been a while, Um, at least three, four years. Okay. All right. I mean, the last time I think we were here and Angela pulled us in, Curtis and I, with uh, Gene Parnell because we were actually um, doing prison ministry Mm -hmm. and I was bringing my equipment.
<laughs> well, listen, I have I have one more question, but I'm going to save it to the end of the show and, okay. and, and ask both of you to ask the question. Welcome back, everybody. The show is From a City to the World. I'm your host, Vince Boudreau, the president of the City College of New York. We are celebrating 50 years of hip-hop, and we've been talking to WHCR's own DJ Flame, and now it is my pleasure to introduce Reverend Conrad Tillard. Let me tell you a little bit about him today. Dr. Uh, Reverend Tillard has been a student activist, a minister, and a community activist for 30 years. 1984, he started his career as a student activist, working as a national student coordinator in Reverend Jesse Jackson's presidential campaign. He later became known as the hip-hop minister due to his work as youth minister in the Nation of Islam, where he reached out to gangs to provide a bridge to peace. After leaving the nation in 1998, he founded a movement for change and continued the work. He's been both a mediator of hip-hop violent conflicts and a spiritual mentor to prominent hip-hop personalities. He's also been an outspoken critic of negativity in youth culture and the hip-hop industry. Reverend Tillard has been featured nationally in numerous magazines and newspapers like Savoy, Vibe, Source, Esquire, uh, XXL, Essence, Ebony, Time, Newsweek, The New York Times, Washington Post, Philadelphia Inquirer, and The Los Angeles Times. He's currently a Baptist and Congregational Minister licensed and ordained at the historic Abyssinian Baptist Church here in Harlem. He's also an adjunct professor right here at City College of New York in the Black Studies Department where he teaches the hip-hop class that focuses on social, political, and historical dimensions of hip-hop over the past 50 years. He covers the genre from Robert Moses' impact on the Bronx communities that spawned hip-hop to its ultimate political and social impact resulting in the election of America's first black president, Barack Obama. In 2021, he was named Instructor of the Year in the Black Studies Department at CCNY, and he's the proud father of four children, Amir, Najma, Conrad Jr., and Barack. Reverend Tillard, welcome Thank to you. From City to the World. I want to get Thank your you. educational credentials in here first. You've got a BA from the University of uh, Pennsylvania, a Master of Divinity from Union Theological Seminary here in New York, a, a THM from Princeton Theological Seminary, and additional graduate studies at Harvard Divinity School, John F. Kennedy School of Government, and Andover Newton Theological School. So, really pleased to have you here, Reverend Tilly. Thank you, Mr. President. It's good to be here. Good to be back in the studio. And I'll do anything for Angela and Tina. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, we're, we're grateful to be in the studio, yes. grateful to have you in the studio. I did want to pick up one loose thread from the last segment. Sure. Those of you that are interested in the hip-hop church, that is the Greater Hood Memorial AME Zion Church, and the address is 160 West 146th Street here in Harlem, if you're interested in going and checking that out. So you wear a lot of hats, um, uh, uh, minister, you work with hip-hop personalities. But I want to talk to you first off as a professor. Um, you've been honored with Teacher of the Year in the Black Studies Department. We are grateful to have you on, on faculty. But I'm curious, how do you, how you approach your material? Um, are you focusing on um, reading, interpreting the art form on its social and political context, sort of all of the above? How do you approach it? Yes, well, that's the great thing about this uh, course. Um, it is a course that we cover a lot of political science um, in that we start the course looking at the impact Robert Moses had um, on the city, mm -hmm. um, the political muscle he wielded. Um, we look at uh, the social conditions in New York in the 70s uh, when the city went bankrupt 
and the uh, federal government refused to bail the city out unless it made changes and mm-hmm. how all of this impacted. And that's why listening to DJ Flame was great because she was actually there when this was taking place. Mm-hmm. And we, but we cover those things. Then we're also sociological um, and uh, I'm a bit of a cultural critic. Uh, and we study the genre, but we also study the political impact of this generation, which in 1998, when we founded a movement for change, uh, we said that hands that once scratched turntables would one day pick a president. Mm-hmm. I borrowed that from Jesse Jackson. He mm-hmm. said hands that once picked cotton would one day pick a president. But we show how the hip-hop generation produced the, the Obama coalition. So. Right. We cover cover a lot in the course, so yeah. it's it's a very wonderful course. A lot of the young people, our students are, you know, many of them are born after Biggie and Tupac died. Yeah. So a lot of this is very new to them, <laughs> and that's what makes it really enjoyable. Yeah, it happens really quickly, doesn't it? That you 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 wind up with students that were born after some of your most important cultural reference. Points. Absolutely, it's, absolutely. It's, uh, it can be discouraging sometimes. <laughs> yes, I want you 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 said something quickly that I want to make sure that our audience um, uh, understands. And you're talking about Robert Moses, yes. and and th- he had such an impact, you know, on the Bronx, on yes. on the cityscape of New York, and and. and Thinking about DJ Flames talking about the the kind of neighborhood quality of hip hop, yes. could you, could you just get a little bit deeper into what his impact was and how you associate it with the art form? Sure. Well, you know, uh, we know that uh, Moses was an extraordinary visionary and builder, and 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 I have to challenge my students to recognize the important contributions he made. But he was so politically powerful and so single minded. Uh, that many of the great contributions, Cross Bronx Expressway, uh, bifurcated, destroyed, coherent, cohesive communities. And so by the 1970s, at the end of his building boom and his work, uh, there were communities that had been cohesive that were now cut off. Uh, He built housing projects in in a way that essentially cut them off from vibrant communities and isolated poverty. And out of those cracks, that social despair uh, and a rose came up out of those cracks, and, and that was hip-hop, and the mm-hmm. creativity that the young people uh, created in that environment. But it was a desolate environment, of course, mm-hmm. and it was, uh, it was an environment that um, many of the traditional institutions failed to sort of produce uh, what the young people in the streets produced. Mm-hmm. So uh, someone who's come through your class, Mm -hmm. what's the most important thing you want them to carry away from from the experience? The most important thing I want them to understand is, you know, hip-hop is an interesting genre. Um, I just turned 59 years old, um, and I I don't ask ladies how old they are, but but the point is the founders, Cool Herc, uh, Flash, Bambada, these guys are now in their, well into their 60s. Mm-hmm. But many uh, of the younger generations uh, uh, often don't understand the historical continuity. So mm-hmm. what I want them to leave the, the class understanding is that a lot has happened in hip-hop before they discovered it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they need to know about these things. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that that's the main. Absolutely. And we cover so much. I mean, we cover West Coast rap. We cover uh, Public Enemy. You know, one of the things we cover politically, many of them have never heard of a tremendous female rapper by the name of Sister Soldier. Soldier. Yeah. And she went literally toe-to-toe 
with the president of the United States at the time, Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. And that's an important moment in hip hop in, in terms of the political and social development of hip hop. Well, well, you touch, I mean, you're provoking a question I was going to ask later, but I'm going to roll it out right now. Sure. As you think about that 50 year history, or, or maybe it's even longer than 50 years, can you identify? You know what you would say the pivotal moments in the evolution of it are. It, does it jump off the off the historical trajectory for you? Well, there are a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, there there's much debate about uh, when when hip hop started and mm-hmm. um, where it started. I mean, Brooklyn makes a case for it, but but I think the Bronx is is a really s- unique place uh, because of the multiculturalism. Um, because of what was going on uh, in the Bronx, uh, it was a perfect uh, set of conditions to create hip hop. Mm-hmm. So I think obviously the early 70s, uh, 73, Cedric, 1520 Cedric Avenue is one of those moments, uh, but also the golden age of hip hop uh, in the 80s, mid to late 80s mm-hmm. and early 90s was very significant uh and there there are just a number of points so it's really hard to identify um you know for many people the death of tupac shakur and biggie smalls within six months Mm -hmm. in 1997 was a pivotal turning point uh so there are many yeah yeah do you think well i mean are, are, are we at a point where the genre gets the respect that it deserves well, I think, as uh, DJ Flame said, uh, the, the great thing about uh, the genre in terms of what it has done in terms of the mainstream society, it has more than uh, gotten its respect. I mean, it, it started on the margins. Mm-hmm. The black music executives of, of that time didn't take it serious, didn't think it was going to last. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it clearly has, uh, you know, staked its claim uh, as one of the major American art forms uh, it, that that history will have to have to reckon with, and, and you know we didn't mention this, but both Curtis Blow and Russell Simmons were City College students, mm-hmm. so that's Absolutely. very important. Point. Mm-hmm. No, Absolutely. that's right. Mm-hmm. You know, so much of your work centers on, um, you know, your advocacy work centers on, you know, some of the maybe the violence associated with hip hop or, or 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 some of the the. You know the influences in it, the genre that that maybe are not as as helpful to youth as as they could be, but I think about the origins of hip hop, and there's a kind of sweetness in 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 right. the earlier. You know, you you have all of these young men who you listen to sort of track after track after track, and the most important thing is I want to tell you my name. I want to tell you right. I'm here. I want. Right. Th- does that feel accurate to you? And can you talk a little bit about about that? Well, that's one of the ironies of it. Um, you know, um, the founders really were creating a culture for young people in these depressed communities to have something positive to do. Mm-hmm. And 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 as you, I talk about this in my class. Um, you know, some of the influences in the community at that time, the five percent nation of gods and earths, uh, diff- the Zulu nation. You'd be hard pressed to even find profanity on yeah. the early rap records. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so the irony is something that was really designed to save a community. Mm. Um, and I, I introduced uh, back in 1995, I think, uh, Suge Knight, who at the time was a big record uh, industry person in California, I introduced him to Cool Herc and Bambada and uh, Biggs and some other people. And 
he could not. He 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 wanted to know why didn't they make more money? How why how did you all let this get out of your hands? Mm-hmm. He could not even conceptualize the concept mm-hmm. that this was, as you said, a cultural movement mm-hmm. that people were not in this to make money, mm-hmm. uh, but it was there to give the community something very positive and to see where we've gone today. You know, when Biggie and Tupac got killed, that shook the conscience of the hip-hop community. We've had over 100 young rappers killed uh, in the last 20 years, so it's now a commonplace. Uh, And so those kinds of things I'm deeply concerned about because at the end of the day, these are young people in urban communities across the country, Mm. and we've got to save them and not put something on wax that is going to speed up their demise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had two questions about, mm-hmm. and, and and we're at a point where they're both kind of relevant, so mm-hmm. I'll put them both on, sure. on the table. And the first is, you know, so much of hip-hop is, is, is a, it, it's, it's a music, music of struggle, right? And But it can go in two different ways, right? It, a lot of it is clearly a call to activism in the most positive way, even when it is militant activism, right? right? You right. think about Fight the Power. Absolutely. There's not, there's not a negative note in right. that song, right. but it is, it is militant. Right. And then there's, you know, and then there's music that, that, that goes in a different direction. Same kind of sense of desperation and struggle, but it moves in violence. And I, and I, I wonder like, how you think about those, those two trends. And then the second question, which I'd originally conceived of as separate, but maybe it's not, is... A lot of that energy is turned outward, but as you say, over the course of the industry's development, a lot of it went inward, and it became violence uh, across labels or across or, right. or 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 stuff put on wax explicitly to embarrass or humiliate somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so may, maybe we take those two in different chunks. Yeah. Well, I, let me just say, and I'd love to hear what uh, DJ Flame says. But you know, one of the things, you know, obviously from the beginning. Hip hop is competition, right? And that's a wonderful thing. Sports, boxing, you know, basketball, what football. Yeah. The goal is not to hurt uh, an opponent. Yeah. Play a hard, strong game, yeah. and that's what hip hop was. Was uh, uh, one of the sad things is that as these record companies and corporations, uh, I took to task uh, some of the uh, black executives and the corporations back in the early two thousands. When was a young man by the name of Jamal Shine Barrow, mm-hmm. who was with uh, one of the labels, and he had gotten mixed up in some trouble. And, and I said, well, you know, when Barry Gordy received 18-year-olds from their parents, he taught them how yeah. to do interviews, how to conduct themselves and go around the world. Mm-hmm. And I said, these companies have an obligation to do that. Unfortunately, this young man spent... Ten, was sentenced to 10 years in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, he was deported. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's always some good news. I'm happy to tell you, he is now the opposition leader in the country of Belize. Wow. And is probably the future prime minister of that country. Oh, so, wow. So that's a good news yeah. Uh, yeah. end of that story. But yeah. the point is, uh, we, we, we have to, you know, hip-hop, and I this is the theological part of my class. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I posit that it has become a religion mm-hmm. uh, also. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting what you're doing mm-hmm. for young people. It, is, it has taken on religious dimensions. Mm-hmm. And I think any society, our institutions, our colleges and universities, our churches, 
uh, our governments. We've got to introduce things to them that are going to enhance their lives and not destroy them. And I think some of these record companies have made a lot of money. Yes. And the authenticity and the realness yes. uh, is, is something that they're concerned about. Mm-hmm. So if you kill a lot of people, you sell a lot of records. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, should be. In, in, in a decent society. Mm-hmm. You spend a lot of your time um, mentoring hip-hop personalities, and, and I, I, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what that's like, but also, are, are there are there Barry Gordys out there that are that are doing the work of, 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 of kind of cultivating the whole artist and the whole member of society in this, this field? Well, I think the great thing about it is, um, you know, as you grow up, <laughs> that's the wonderful thing about it. Uh, I remember telling a, a, a rap mogul uh, who had moved from the hood out to Saddle River, New Jersey. I said, I'm going to bring some guys out there. They're going to spray paint your house. <laughs> and you tell me, <laughs> do you think that? <laughs> so, you know, and I happened to run into him. He was outside of a, a she-she private school where his daughters went to school. Mm-hmm. And I think the good thing about it is when people grow up as we evolve, Mm -hmm. you understand what a platform means. And Mm -hmm. you see this in people like Snoop Dogg, and you see this in Mm -hmm. in, in Mm -hmm. some of these artists who used to promote the negative Mm -hmm. masterpiece, but they're doing so many positive things Mm -hmm. now. And that needs to be uh, acknowledged. Uh, And and so we have to always, I guess, try to get to the younger ones to see how powerful this platform is and how much damage can be done. Uh, with this platform, but the good thing is eventually people do grow up and and they seem to to understand that we just got to get them before they uh, lead a lot of young people astray mm-hmm. that's it yeah you know we're at a moment right now I'm gonna say the last oh, say since two thousand and sixteen mm-hmm. where a lot of the apparent social and cultural advances we've made are being rolled down, whether people are just coming out of the shadows to say what they really thought all along or getting elected, whatever it is, but, you know, books being banned, diversity programs Mm. being outlawed, African-American studies programs closed up, all of that. And I wonder in this context of of, of sort of seeming backlash and rollback, what's what's the hip-hop response, and where do you see the strongest um, response to that kind of a trend? And that's what I I challenge my – I also teach the civil rights uh, class Mm -hmm. uh, in the Black Studies Department. And I challenged my students yesterday. Uh, We were looking at the Fisk University students uh, in Nashville and Mm -hmm. the struggle. Uh, And I said, you know, this generation was impacted by segregation. Mm -hmm. And they became passionate to bring about social change. And I challenged my students to say, what are you passionate about? Uh, what are the pressing issues that face you? Mm-hmm. And what are you prepared to do in terms of making social change? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the operative question uh, for the young people of this generation and, and each generation. Franz Fanon said each generation mm-hmm. has to identify what its major uh, cause is and then decide whether it will accept it or betray it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You talked earlier about hip hop as a religion. Is this is this connected up in there? The the, the sort of mobilizing power of it. Well, yes. I mean, that's that that's part of the black church, the black religious tradition, and I think hip hop has definitely demonstrated the ability to do that. Uh, I argue for. I'm, I'm I do not 
feel it should be a religion mm-hmm. and because I think what it will do is ultimately leave young people with an emptiness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great social vehicle. Right. right. And, you right. know, I, I've, I've tried to share with, with my, my brothers and sisters and friends in hip-hop. It's not so much hip-hop. It's not that hip-hop's a culture, but it is a part of a great culture. Mm-hmm. It is a cultural outgrowth. It is a subculture mm. of a very great culture. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that's the way... I like to look at that's it. Good. Mm-hmm. It's connected to something really deep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, okay, 50th anniversary of hip-hop. I want a celebratory moment here before we end. We know Public Enemy. We know mm-hmm. Snoop Dogg. We know Digital Underground. We know. I want to ask both of you to give us four hip-hop names that we should pay attention to that's not necessarily on the top 40 hip-hop list of everybody. Give us a, give us a couple buried treasures. Oh, wow. Oh, I wish you could see her face on uh, this radio, <laughs> but um, DJ Flame is struggling. I'm I'm struggling on the mainstream now. As far as um, gospel, you know, um, there are people that you know I I think are amazing. Uh, uh, Mahogany Jones. Uh, uh, you have um, Light the Flow Minister, who is uh, originally from the Bronx, but now she's a teacher. In Ohio, um, uh, Q the Prophet, who mm-hmm. is also a pastor now, uh, Richie Righteous, who's also a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, these are voices um, that I trust because I've watched their come up. I've watched them demonstrate excellence and integrity in everything that they do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've watched them mobilize young people and bring them to consciousness, if you will. Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing I tell my students in my class is that you know more about contemporary hip hop than I can ever know. <laughs> right, so right, right. I let them know it's not going to be a class about who's the hottest. <laughs> who's yeah. So I, I think for me, um, the up and coming rapper that I spend most time listening to is actually my son Amir, who's out in California. Oh, okay. and his, his 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 name is Amir says nothing. I I wish he had made his name Amir says something, but <laughs> he's got a rationale for it. And so he's good, and I hope you will That's check good. him out. All right, <laughs> so we've got it. We got a um, we've got a plug for Amir says nothing. <laughs> check him out, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Well, listen. Thank you for listening to From City to the World. Special thanks to our guest, Reverend Conrad Tillard who teaches hip-hop class here at City College, and Gail Windley, also known as DJ Flame, host of the Anointed Mic Check show on WHCR, which is Wednesday mornings from 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. This show is produced by yours truly, Vince Boudreau and Angela Harden, and we will see you.